action is by breathing. It's not a difficult thing to do. It's very easy. And try it with me. I want you to exhale and just breathe in through your nose. Hold it and slowly release it. And do it again. Here's the secret. Every time you concentrate on breathing in through your nose and exhaling through your mouth, you're making the amygdala let go when you've been triggered with threat and you're now able to problem solve much better. So while you're taking notes today or while you're listening to our voices, just practice breathing because everything that you take in today, you're gonna wanna hold on to, but the more you breathe through it, the more you're gonna get. Um, you're going to probably hear in my voice. I was a teacher before I became a therapist and I worked with fifth graders and I did it for 11 years and loved it. And what I learned is that when kids feel relaxed, when they feel happy in their environment, they learn more. So I took that, all that information and everything that I learned in teaching. And I used that in my practice for the, for the people that I worked with who are trying very hard to find a better way to get through a very difficult time in their life. So with that being said, here's something else I want you to know. Attitude is everything in this process. And by the way, I'm not talking out of a textbook. I went through a very difficult divorce back in 2004, which went on for a long time because I had young children. And I was I didn't know better. I didn't know what I know now about what's available for people. I thought that if you couldn't agree to mediation, you didn't have a choice. You, you had to go into litigation. So you hire the attorney, you go into battle, which is fine if, if that's what you choose to do. I'm an advocate for mediation and collaboration. I'm an advocate for raising the level of communication so that you can get the best possible outcome. And interesting enough, most relationships are not communicating well when, by the time they get to the point of divorce. So my part of it is to help couples be able to find a better way to communicate, maybe better than they ever did married, through the divorce process and if they know they're going to maintain that stature and they're going to stay in the divorce process and they have children they're going to have to learn how to communicate in a way that will benefit their children so attitude is everything knowledge the more knowledge you have the less stress you have the more knowledge you have the better chance you will have to not make a mistake and that is across the board. That's in your financial decisions. That's in your legal decisions. But it's certainly in the, any decision you have of what's coming out of your mouth in the moment. You can be the one person in the room who stays the calmest if you choose to do that. And by the way, just a little, just a little known fact here. If you're breathing in through your nose and you're exhaling through your mouth, do you know that anybody sitting across from you will start to do the same thing? even sitting next to you they get into the rhythm of that it's why therapists often will tell their clients that they're going to imitate their body language why why would a therapist imitate body language that you're presenting it's because you're going to be a lot calmer if you were both on the same page and in the same kind of vibe so your language is really important in what you say so your knowledge about your language is another part of what i teach there are fighting words and there are words that will create a collaborative kind of a mindset when you're trying to accomplish something. Also, hope. Hope. I think hope springs eternal. When you have hope for a better outcome, you will work toward a better outcome. Even if the, your spouse, the person that you're going through this process with, isn't on the same mindset, you can help them in a way of showing them a different way that you might want to be with them. Again, when you reduce the stress, you reduce the threat, you have a better, much better outcome. Something else I want you to think about. You always wanna to listen to understand. You wanna to listen to understand. You wanna understand so that you can move toward communicating better. Sometimes, we miscommunicate what it is we're trying to say. And believe it or not, we think we know exactly what we're saying and exactly how it's coming across. And you know what? 90% of the time, it may not be coming across the way you want it to. And then appreciation. We all want to be appreciated for the work that we do. So when appreciation is in the forefront of the communication, 
you again reduce the stress. So it's a simple technique. So if you will write these three words down, listen, understand, and appreciate. Any communication you're having with anybody at any time, you listen for the content. How do you let the other person know that you've heard them? You repeat back what you heard them say. And again, you do not do this with any kind of judgment in your voice or a tone in your voice that says, yeah, but you don't do the yeah, but you go ahead and listen and you respond the way you heard them say it. So they know they were heard. And then you say, did I get that right? When you ask, did I get that right? The person gets to hear what they've heard and how it sounded to somebody else. And that's where they may make the adjustment. No, I really didn't mean to say it like that. What I really wanted to say was this. Okay. If the person is aggressive when they're saying it, no, I didn't say it like that. I said it like this. You're going to be threatened immediately. Breathe. Breathe. You breathe through the other person's emotional state. That's, that's the way you manage it better. No, I said this. Okay, if I got that right, I heard you say this. Is that correct? Yes. You double check that you've heard it correctly before you respond. And if you can do that before you respond, you're going to give them the opportunity of knowing that you not only heard them well, but you're understanding them. And this is the neat part of this. When we are understood, we feel less threatened to have to get our point across. When we're understood, we feel less threatened to get our point across. We then feel more appreciated when we're in dialogue with someone. You could practice this today with anybody. Anybody in your household works great with kids, but obviously it works well with somebody that you have a disagreement with. You don't have to like the other person. It helps if you do. But most often when you're in a divorce environment, it's not always common that you're liking the other person. And the truth is, it's really not about the other person. It's how the other person acts and you react to it. So you're responsible for how you feel about them. Now, if you're in an abusive situation, obviously that's a whole different can of worms. And we can talk about that offline if you'd like to reach out to me and talk about that. But in the process of divorce, communication is, is so important. And that means that who you choose to work with in the process, they have to listen to be able to understand and to be able to appreciate you. They have to listen, to understand, to be able to appreciate you. It's really, it's a simple process. It's a little more difficult to practice doing. So I just want to reiterate, you're breathing in through your nose and you're exhaling through your mouth. You're listening to hear what it is the person is saying. You're repeating back what you heard them say before you respond. You're seeking understanding so that you can feel the appreciation for yourself trying to do that and for the other person trying to be heard. So attitude is key. Knowledge is essential. And then don't give up on hope because a hope for a better way of being, even if it's not gonna be that you stay with your spouse, if you have children, you're gonna be involved with that person for the rest of your children's lives, which means it's the rest of your life. And just to, briefly say something about children. I want you to understand that if you do have children, not everybody does that may be listening today, but if you do have children or know somebody with children going through divorce, I want you to, to imagine this. In a game of tug and war, tug of war, right? Both sides are tugging. Children are in the middle. And if that rope that you're playing tug of war with is wrapped around them, whoever pulls, whoever does something deceptive or cruel or is unkind in some way that hurts the children and children are essential to the well-being of our world and they're essential to the well-being of your world most often if you love your children by the way it's usually the one place that both parents can agree they love their children that doesn't mean the amount of time they spend is equal because sometimes that's not the case but loving their children and loving that their children benefit from a collaborative, cooperative, meditative, <laughs> mediated uh, process. Children will benefit from that. And in this world that we live in, since divorce isn't going away, there's a good chance that one of your children may go through divorce. And if you have role modeled for them, 
being the best version of yourself and in the process, allowing the other parent to be the best version of themselves. Even though you're going to go through a traumatic experience of divorcing, again, it's the death of something, right? It's you go through all those grieving steps as you do through death. Your children may come out of it knowing that they have two parents that love them very much and can interact in a way that whatever milestone those children go through, they're both their parents can be there for that. So I, I know there's an awful lot I can teach you and there's a lot I'd like to share with you, but I wanna make sure that we all have time today to be able to share what we need to share and to also be able to move forward in this. Um, if you need to reach out, you're going to have an email that will have our contact information. So I also wanna say something else. I am honored to be able to work with people that look at the well-being of others as a very important component of their professional world. Lisa Reisner, who you're going to hear next, is one of those attorneys who is an outstanding attorney in the courtroom, but she's an outstanding attorney in the conference room when we're mediating and often we'll work together. And it's, it's interesting. It's hard to tell who the therapist is in the room because her manner and her way of talking, her way of giving information in a non-threatening way is exceptional. The same is true for Megan. Megan, I, time and time again, you take that financial world and you make it so understandable for people. So I'm going to sit back and enjoy now hearing Lisa and Megan present a little bit here. And your questions, whatever questions you have, your questions are important. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me. And again, I'm Patrice Corteau. I am a licensed marriage family therapist. I'm a divorce coach. I'm a child specialist and I'm a mediator in divorce. Thank you. Thank you, Patrice. Uh, like she said, my name is Lisa Reisner. I am an attorney. I've been an attorney 22 years. I'm a certified family law specialist. <clears throat> for uh, most of those years, I've been a litigator. Uh, for probably uh, the last 15 years or so, I've been um, dabbled in collaborative and mediation. And in the last five years, I've focused a lot on shifting my practice to more mediation. What does that mean? There's three ways in California that you can get a divorce. Uh, one of them is voluntarily. If somebody files for divorce, the other spouse is, now they're in the case, uh, whether or not they participate in the court action is one thing, but the case can happen. It only takes one side to agree to start a traditional divorce case. Um, some people call it traditional, some people refer to it as litigation. The other two methods in California are voluntary. They're part of ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution. So there's mediation and there's collaborative. And there's a lot of confusion about uh, what that means, even in the legal community. So uh, I just want to kind of give you your options. Mediation is where you use a neutral mediator. That person is typically an attorney, does not have to be, but typically. And that mediator is a neutral who does not represent one side or the other. Um, when I pull a case in a traditional court case litigation, I wear the hat where I am a zealous advocate for one spouse or the other. When I wear the mediator hat, I don't represent anybody. I'm a peacemaker bringing two sides together to try to help them facilitate. So the best way to maybe visualize it is in the traditional setting. And a lot of times the, the climate or the mindset is spouse versus spouse. Uh, but with mediation and even collaborative, it's a different mindset. It's much uh, more peaceful, much more healthy, a uh, lot less expensive, uh, a lot more expedient. You'll get resolution with a fraction of the time if you went, than if you went through court. That mindset is, okay, we didn't make it as good spouses. Well, welcome to more than 50% of the married population. But in the business of getting this done, it's now spouse and spouse on the same team versus the task of how do we resolve these legal issues? Completely different mindset. So I can't even tell you how refreshing it is to go, like some mornings I'll have court, and then in the afternoon I, I play the role of mediator or collaborative attorney. Completely different caliber of client, 
completely different climate in the room. How are they different and how are they the same? Well, you have to go through the court system for all three ways. You file, somebody files a petition, they now know as the petitioner. A little side note, there's no advantage to being the first one to file. There's not be a race to the courthouse because there's no leg up if you're the person who's now the petitioner versus the other person who is now known as the respondent. In uh, mediation, um, that's kind of where the, the end of the court's involved until you have your final product, your agreement, which is gets filed as the judgment. Um, in the traditional court way, there could be, you know, hearings along the way. Um, sometimes it takes a long time to get to the end. A divorce case can end one of two ways. Either you come up with an agreement, that agreement is now turned into a judgment, or if you cannot agree on all the issues, you have a trial. And in family law, it's not trial by jury, it's bench trial. That means one judge will make orders as to all the issues that you did not resolve between um, your spouse and yourself before that time. Right now in Orange County, well, before the pandemic hit, I should say, it would take about 18 to 24 months to get to the trial. And it's nobody's fault. It's just there's so many cases and not enough judges. So based on our population, uh, I'm told we're supposed to have in Orange County 23 family law judges, and there's about 17 because of the budget. So you can imagine those cases don't go away. They get redistributed more cases to less judges, meaning when I was a, a baby lawyer uh, back in the day, I could show up at court and there might be like six to eight cases on calendar. Now we're looking at like 30, 35, 40 per judge. So um, they don't have that kind of time in the day. They have to triage every morning. Who's here on abuse cases? Who, who's here on child custody cases? Who's here on financial issues? If you have a strictly financial issue, there's a high likelihood your case will get bumped to another day. Now 2020 hits and you throw in uh, COVID-19. Uh, something that I thought I would never see, it's like something from a sci-fi movie, the courts say, we're closed, closing our doors. Um, but we have legal rights. Yeah, we're closed. So from the middle of March until just about a week and a half ago, couldn't file any new filings, couldn't have a hearing. If you had a domestic violence issue or if a child was being abused, yeah, you could get heard uh, by email. You could do it. You could e-file um, a request. So now. Opened up but not really. If you wanted to um, go down, do so right now in Orange County if you have a domestic violence hearing or if you have a criminal case. So because all of those criminal cases uh, were also put on hold, we're now pulling our family law judges over to help with the backlog of criminal cases because the Constitution gives criminals a right to a speedy trial. They don't give a divorcing litigant a right to a speedy divorce. There's no such thing. You don't have a legal right to uh, speedy anything in Orange County. And for that reason, mediation is on the rise. So people are looking around going, okay, well, what can we do uh, to get this case through? And the judges are encouraging that. They're, they're saying, please tell your clients, consider ADR, consider mediation, consider voluntarily sitting down with the other side. If you can't, they're there for you, but you might get a two-hour hearing um, online. That's uh, a whole new world. I uh, talk about learning Zoom and WebEx and Teams in a hurry. It's been very interesting to watch the judges try to be so patient as a lot of struggling lawyers, you know, the camera is pointed at their stomach or, you know, they're hearing their family in the kitchen behind them. It's been a, it's very interesting. So they're not really having hearings right now. It's all status conferences online, and then very soon we'll start having hearings online. We get an hour each. When some attorneys are saying, you know, I would have normally given a full day time estimate. If you give a long time estimate, you're looking at 2021 before you're gonna probably hear um, a hearing in front of that particular judge. They are trying to come up with other judges that can hear long cause matters, but there's so many customers at the store. If you get picked, the, the, the um, judge assigned to your case gets to pick whether or not you'll go to that special judge or not. Um, 
how are those how are those different methods uh, the same? In every case, no matter how you get divorced in Orange County or in California, you have to fill out a packet of forms. And these are very important. It's called a declaration of disclosure. And what is that comprised of? It's uh, there's a four-page schedule of assets and debts. We list all of the things that you own all of the debts that you owe for both parties. Because one of the biggest uh, tasks that we do in every case is let's sort out what's separate and what's community. So these forms are gonna help us sort that out because a family court's job is in the judgment to divide the community assets. Well, what if you have some separate assets? What if you came to the marriage and you already had a house or part of your retirement? Um, you know, debt that you had before marriage. So anything that's separate gets confirmed in a judgment and then the pie to be divided, that's the community items. So on these forms is your opportunity to disclose. Here's everything that I think that we own assets. Here's all the debts that I think that we owe, uh, whether it's more separate. Then there's another four page form called an income and expense declaration. You list all your sources of income. This form is just as to you yourself. It's not so much concerned with what the other party has. You list all of your living expenses and then there's some other information. Then there's a form that goes on top, literally called Declaration of Disclosure, where you check some boxes about whether or not you had investment opportunities, uh, your tax filings for the last um, year, have, and you exchange those. These forms do not get filed with the court. There's a lot of private information in there. Instead, the California Family Code says that you are required before you can file a judgment, whether it's by settlement or if, it, if a judge decided, you have to exchange these declarations of disclosure on each other. And then there's a one-page form that you file with the court that says, we did that step. The court will not accept your judgment to end your case until this step is done. And the legislature's thinking is how can you divide up things and how can you uh, resolve things until you each signed under penalty of perjury, this is all the information I know about us. Now, a lot of times there's one spouse that handled all the finances. So it's not uncommon for you to say, I don't know. Um, so what you do is you fill it out the best you can. And then when you get the other person's declaration of disclosure, then you can start looking to say, okay, do we have all the pieces to the puzzle here? Can we get to work? If not, the next step would be in a traditional case to do formal discovery. If you've never heard that word, discovery is a legal term in any lawsuit and divorce is considered a lawsuit in a civil court where you have the right to make the other person provide you information. You can ask questions in the form of interrogatories. You can actually do demand for documents. Here's a list of documents I want to see. I want to see your retirement um, statement. I want to see your bank statements. I want to see your paycheck stubs. Whatever it is that's related to the issues at hand, you have a right to ask those things in the form of discovery. Now, if you do uh, divorce through mediation or collaborative, discovery is gone. There is no discovery. It's just be given and this is where the cost of those methods of divorce um, are a lot less because anytime an attorney in, uh, spends time on your case that's where the attorney's fees start to uh, get incurred right so if you take away that formal discovery all the time that's consumed in preparing those responses and then reviewing them and then enforcing them with motions to compel and blah 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 all of that's gone because in mediation and uh, collaborative it's freely given there's a little bit more level of trust um, a lot of transparency and um, the mediator and the collaborative team if they're involved um, they help to promote that um, process let's let's you know you want to see bank statements let's give them to them you you want this let's give them to them and it's just put out on the table quickly and you don't have to go through of all the discovery. Now I've mentioned collaborative, it's similar to traditional in that each side has their own attorney and it's similar to mediation in that it's outside of court. So like mediation where we filed the case at court and then we said, thanks, thanks judge, we're gonna work on this on ourselves. Same thing with collaborative. But now you each have your own attorney. You each have your own mental health professional. 
they do not um, they do not conduct therapy. They are a divorce coach, and Patrice is the best, not just one of the best. I think she's the best I've seen. Um, and they they you have a coach for each side. And then there's some neutral uh, professionals. There could be a neutral spe uh, financial specialist who helps gather all those financial informations and help come up with a balance sheet or maybe support uh, that needs to be um, awarded to one spouse or the other. And then there might be, if, if you elect, to add to the team a child specialist who is also a mental health professional and they give the children and the family a voice. And so they work in a series of team meetings to resolve yours. So um, I could talk, you know, I'm an attorney, I could talk all day long, but um, I'm, I'm down to 15 minutes. So I was hoping to really focus on um, the different ways you could get a divorce, but um, I can't emphasize enough. Um, the more that you can do to, um, at this time, if you're at the onset, the more information you can gather, that will greatly reduce your fees no matter which method that you go through. Uh, start, start looking for those retirement um, annual and quarterly statements. Try to find out what credit cards you have. Um, you know, gather your last three years tax returns, little things like that. And if your attorney asks for them, uh, try to find them because if they have to go subpoena that information, that's where the cost will uh, start to um, incur. I have one minute left and I wanted to tell you um, really quickly, um, if you forget everything else, uh, remember this, this is such a big deal, I can't emphasize it enough. If you have children and you're going through a divorce and you're not in um, a mediation or collaborative, you find yourself in the court setting, which can be a very um, ugly setting. Never ever refer to your children as my children or my child. Everybody says it, nobody means anything by it, but in my world, this is a big, huge, hairy deal. From this point on, it's our children because everyone involved, the attorneys, the judges, the facilitators at mediation at court, anybody involved, they're, they're ready to pounce. They're looking for those types of words. You would never want to say, I would let her have the children on this schedule or I would let him have every other weekend. Choose your words very carefully. Uh, choose words like, I would be agreeable to this schedule, or how, how about we consider this? Because in the court's eyes, um, the best interest of the children is the main focus. I do have to say, as harsh of a system it is, I do see in family law judges and a lot of the family law attorneys, uh, most people have the children as the central focal point. So those are my best, I'll, I'll pass it off to Megan, that's my best uh, 15 minute soundbite of, of family law. Oh, we have to unmute you, Megan. Hold on. There we go. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, as you all can see, this is a very, very tough act to follow. Um, thank you so much for both of your expertise. What we have heard from is the emotional side from Patrice. We've heard from the legal side with Lisa, and now we're gonna wrap it up with me on the financial side. And you may realize and you may notice that there is definitely an overlap between all of these three areas. And if there's one thing that we can, um, that you can learn from this today is understanding that overlap and realizing that there are different specialists for different areas and making sure that with all this education and all this knowledge, it will save you time and money. When you're not using your attorney as a therapist, right? Attorneys are pretty expensive therapists. And also your attorney is also not a financial advisor. So understanding the different roles that different specialists play and making sure you have your team together that can support you during this time. So I know Liz mentioned it before, but my name is Megan Sturrett. I am a wealth management advisor at Merrill Lynch. I'm a certified financial planner. And probably most important to all of you is I am a certified divorce financial analyst. So what exactly is that? What does that mean? Um, I have been at Merrill Lynch for over 20 years and um, specialize in helping people understand the financial aspects of divorce. Lisa talked about the disclosures. Many times people come to me and my team when they are 
contemplating divorce, right? Can I afford to divorce? What would it look like if I did go through with this financially, right? Can I afford to do it? Or if they are in the midst of divorce, they come in maybe with their disclosure statements, or maybe they come in with a proposed settlement and, and ask questions like, what are the short-term, well, these are more my words than theirs, but what are the short-term and long-term impacts of these proposed settlements, okay? Does this make sense? What do you think about this? What does this look like, right? Because the most important thing I look at as our role is to make sure that when you get through this difficult time that you've set yourself up financially for the next stage that lies ahead, right? What does that next stage of the journey look like? This has already been a difficult time, but to be able to get through this and already know that you have a plan that's gonna work for you financially going forward is I think the role that a CDFA um, can play. So with that, um, in this very short amount of time, because I wanna make sure we leave time for question and answers, I wanted to cover three things. Normally, when we I talk to you about, we normally do a three-hour presentation. I will talk about the top 10 financial mistakes that I see over my years of experience related to divorce. Um, and today, I'm going to give you the cliff notes. I'm going to give you the top three. Um, number one, um, I know I said this already, but just commending you all for being here today, getting this information, getting this education, because I will tell you that fear of not knowing how this process works legally, not using the right approach or the right language as, as Patrice has mentioned, and also just not understanding the, the financial aspects of divorce causes a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, and I think in the end makes this process take longer, makes it cost more, okay? And so part of this is trying to reduce some of that fear and anxiety today. And the number one thing of my three things, the number one thing is understanding what you are entitled to, okay? And I'm talking about financially. Lisa mentioned in California, California is a community property state. So assets are divided, assets and debts are divided 50-50, unless they are what's known as separate property. Separate property is, is um, property that you came into the marriage with, right? You had pre-marriage or that you've received by gift or inheritance. Sometimes this is one of the first questions I ask when people come into the office or, well, or Zoom calls these days as it is, but is understanding, you know, people say, I don't even know what I'm entitled to. I don't even know what I should fight for. It's a key word there. People feel that they need to fight. What I will tell you is California, a community property state if if when you came into the marriage you didn't have anything and you built your wealth together it's divided equally now it can be divided in a lot of different ways but that's always a fear that people have is understanding what they're entitled to so as lisa mentioned those disclosures they are hugely important what assets do you have i always say there's four things you need to know your assets your debts your income and your expenses, right? And really understanding what you owe and what you own. And again, if you came into the marriage, that is your separate property. If you received it by gift or inheritance during the marriage, that is your separate property. Otherwise, it's community. And this goes for your spouse as well. A lot of times it's saying, well, my husband or my wife did have, um, did have a property when we got married. Okay, well then understand that would be their separate property. Okay, so there's lots of other rules that go with that, but I would say, number one thing I would say is just understanding what you're entitled to, making sure you do your best to get your arms around that information, pull those statements together, look at those disclosure forms and try to get all that information out on the table. Because like Lisa said, you need to make sure you get all the, the pieces to the puzzle before you can start figuring out which column and how that's gonna be put together. Along with that, I will tell you one of the common mistakes is trying to track down hidden assets. I think Patrice alluded to this. This is a time where maybe there's a little bit of a lack of trust in a relationship, and there's an assumption of maybe people doing things that they shouldn't be doing, people trying to hide assets. One of the things Lisa mentioned is do try to get your hands on account statements, 
You know, if you notice there's always a Merrill Lynch or a UBS envelope coming in the mail or Wells Fargo, take a picture. But otherwise, trying to track something down that you have a hunch on, but you don't have an account number, you don't have anything to go on, it's not usually a very financially successful strategy. When you think about how much money are you going to spend to track down something that you don't have anything to go up to go on okay but with that this is a good time if you are contemplating the divorce process is to really try to get your arms around as much information as you possibly can number two is not all assets are created equal so what do i mean when i say that one one um, thing that we one example i like to give is if you have a two hundred thousand dollar brokerage account, just a regular investment account where you were buying CDs or maybe some stocks and you have a $200,000 IRA account. Are those equal, right? Do you say, well, I'll take this, you take that. Just want to make sure you understand not all assets are created equal. That would not be a very good exchange. Why? Well, you have to take into consideration the tax consequences of different assets, right? The retirement account, when you take money out, you know, what do you have to pay? I realize you're all on mute. So you, you might be answering that question, but I can't hear you, but you have to pay taxes, right? And by the way, if you're under 59 and a half, which a lot of your faces look like, um, look, look youthful, you have to pay an additional 10% penalty. Okay. So a lot of times people treasure retirement assets and they fight to hold on and to keep those, but understand you need to make sure you're taking into consideration the tax consequences of those assets. Now, here's another trick, sort of a trick question. What if you have a $200,000 checking account? Which, by the way, I'd love to have a $200,000 checking account, but a $200,000 checking account and a $200,000 brokerage account, not a retirement account, just a brokerage account. Are those equal? The question or the answer is maybe, right? It depends on um, if in your brokerage account, if you have transaction costs, if you have to sell stocks to get money, maybe you, maybe you have to pay a commission to sell. Also, what if you bought Apple at $2, right? I wish we all bought Apple at $2, but you look at this and you think that stock has grown. There's a huge gain. And when you, when you have to pay, when you sell that stock, there may be a commission to sell and also capital gains to pay. So it is really important when you look at um when you look at assets is that they're not always created equal you can't necessarily just put one over here and one over here and assume that they that they all um that they that the math makes sense you do have to take into consideration taxes transaction costs um the other thing too and i will say this and this is a this is um this leads people to think that their divorce that their the division of assets should just mirror each other that everything just gets split down the middle and it looks nice and nice and pretty where everything is divided. I will say that might be the right solution, but it also, once Lisa's done her phenomenal work and once you have that divorce decree, you are responsible for enacting that decree and making sure that you take possession of all those different things and all the different accounts that need to be divided. I think it's really important to make sure that you look at this and make sure what makes sense for you always talk about wanting to have different buckets of money, right? You want to think about having retirement money that's growing tax deferred, right? And that's going to, that's going to be taxable when it comes out versus having another bucket of money that's liquid today. You often hear this, the saying cash is king. You want to make sure in a time of transition that you have access to liquid assets that you can use for emergency funds. And, and being able to have um, access to money if you need it, because you're not, you know, if you're unsure what maybe the next year or two may have in store. So last point I'm gonna make is number three, and is probably the number one thing. And normally I will talk about this one point for 15 or 20 minutes, but I'm not gonna do that today. But one of the mistakes, the number one mistake people make is fighting to keep the marital home. And again, I said that word fighting, I should, I should find a different word, but their desire to keep the marital home when maybe they shouldn't. This is one of the most important things that you can analyze with a financial advisor is to look and say, if I were, if, you know, that's usually the number one asset or maybe the biggest asset that people have. If you put the, if you put the home in your column, what has to go in, in your spouse's column to make that equal? 
And does that make sense? Number one, can you afford to stay in the home? How much of your income would that take? Sometimes we call, we say that people end up house poor where they have this beautiful home, but then they can't afford to do anything because all of their money is sucked into mortgage payments and upkeep on their home. Also, you may not know that if you're, if normally both you and your spouse are on the loan, if you want to take the, if you want to, um, take over the loan on the home, normally the, the lender doesn't just allow you to take your spouse's name off. You typically have to have to refinance and qualify for that loan in your name. These are important conversations to have early on because in my experience, you see people for months having these discussions and mediation and with their attorneys about wanting to keep the home. And, and again, that word fighting to keep the home when if, if we did the financial analysis, maybe they can't afford to keep the home and that continues. And, and then once you, once you know the numbers, you can, you can make different plans or keep the process moving. So one, and why this is such a big mistake is there are many people who do fight to keep the marital home for lots of reasons, right? St they think for stability, for continuity. Um, and then in a short time decide to sell. And that's where you need to be very careful because the commissions you would have split with your spouse, you're now bearing on your own. The exemptions for gains, when you are married, you get twice the exemption, $250,000 a person or $500,000 of exemption from capital gain. A single individual just gets 250. All of a, all of a sudden you can see yourself in a situation where you, you really wanted to keep that home and you, you were able to do that. And in the end, if you turn around and sell, because maybe that wasn't the financially best choice or even the emotionally best choice and you sell the commissions and, and get again, taxes that you may be hit with. So these are why it's really important to make sure that you do have a financial par partner on your team to help you think through some of these um, financial situations, obviously with legal consequences, and you can see that overlap, but to make sure that um, the, the, the division that you agree to is one that makes sense for you, where you, um, again, have money in both buckets, have liquidity, and also when you look at that short-term and long-term impact, that you're, you're set for that next stage. So um, with that, I, I probably talked longer than I should, but it is now, I have 10 minutes to one. Um, so let's wrap up sort of the formal side of that presentation. Let's take some questions. And before we do that, um, I just wanna mention all of you that are here on this call today will be getting a follow-up information from WISE with Patrice and Lisa and myself, all of our contact information. So I, I'm, I'm guessing we're probably not gonna be able to answer everyone's question in 10 minutes, but hopefully, um, hopefully we'll do our best. If not, please send us additional questions. And if you need to reach us or know where to find us, you'll have that in your inbox soon. So thank you again for being with us today. Hope, um, hope this was a, a good way to spend your Tuesday lunch hour. I'm like, it is Tuesday, right? I had to think about that for a second. Um, thank you for being with us. And uh, Lisa, do you want to coordinate the best way to take questions from here? Any, um, any thoughts? Yeah, so we have muted everyone, but if you're able to unmute yourself, if you have a question, uh, go ahead and do that and, and then um, ask your question. I have a question. So how do you protect yourself if you are getting married uh, later in your life? So the uh, asset you accumulate will not be divided. Let's say just in case you have a divorce down the road. Um, if you have a home, it's not paid off yet. Is it better to pay it off uh, before the marriage? That's a really good question. Um, a lot of people in California more than ever before are considering prenuptial agreements, uh, also known as premarital agreements. And what that does is uh, it alters what would normally happen in a divorce under California law. The California Family Code says that we divide things um, pursuant to the Family Code unless if there was a prenup that both parties voluntarily entered into uh, that <clears throat> that um, says that we're not going to um, accrue community property or maybe it addresses the issue of spousal support and that document um, then you know it's put in a safe place and it only comes out 
dusted off if um, if you have a divorce or a separation. If the other party is just not willing to sign a prenup, there's other things that you could do. You would want to get a clear picture of what your separate property uh, entails, uh, like a snapshot with maybe appraisals or have all the original statements as of the date of marriage, uh, just so that there's a clear financial picture of what you did come into the marriage with. And I just want to make a comment about this. Most often when couples are getting married, one of the conversations they do not have is on finances and it's a mistake. It's very important to be able to learn how to communicate about money and about what you have that's separate so that that doesn't become a bigger issue if in fact you end up with a marriage coming apart. What happened to your pension or your social security if you got divorced? Oh, that's a very good question. And um, if there is no prenup, uh, then a retirement account a lot of times could be a hybrid where that, that means that part of its character is separate and part of it is community. So anything that you contributed up to the, into the plan up to the date of marriage, that portion is separate. The contributions during marriage, if there is no prenup, is community. And then at the date of separation forward, if you're still contributing, that's separate again. So what the court will do in a judgment is somehow dispose of that, those contributions and the growth on those uh, contributions. It's like a, it's like a ratio or a fraction of the total plan and then the community. Um, uh, sometimes they'll divide it by a quadro. That's a special court order. It's followed by domestic relations order that will break off the, the portion of the, <coughs> excuse me, the community portion that goes to the other spouse. <coughs> Social Security is a federal program. The divorce court is a state court. So um, even if a state court judge wanted to rule on Social Security benefits, they don't have the authority or the jurisdiction. Uh, Social Security is a federal program and those are already established. Um, it's not, it's different than a retirement plan where you're dividing up portions of it. Social Security is more like a qualifier. So it's not like there's one pot of money and we're for a, for a couple and we're dividing it. Instead, it's what do you what do you or your former spouse qualify for? So you could decide, um, do I want to go, do I want to apply for benefits as a former spouse of this uh, person or do I want to go under my own Social Security number? And the people at the SSA are very helpful in helping you do that analysis. I guess my question was, uh, will Social Security be considered as joint uh, income to be divided? Let's say you get more from your Social Security than your spouse or the other way around. Will you be getting less from the asset you are dividing? Yeah, Social Security is not an asset to be divided in um, a state court. That's a federal program for income stream. The only time it gets brought up in uh, divorce court it is uh, when we're talking about the issue of spousal support. Um, what is everybody's uh, source of income? So if one or both of the parties are receiving uh, Social Security, then they'll look at that. But it's not like it's an asset to be divided. Anybody have another question? We got just a couple minutes. Wow, this is this is the best presentation we have ever done. No questions. <laughs> Actually, one very good question. All right, last last call. Okay, may I ask another one question about um I am thinking about, I, I don't know, uh, what if uh, you don't feel it's right to do the prenup? Uh, so how do you protect, especially houses um, from uh, like a house you bought a long time ago from uh, a divorce? Should you pay it off the loan and uh, before divorce if you can? 
Well, that, that could create a community interest if you don't have a prenup and if community money is being used to pay down the principal on the mortgage and then um, concurrently there is an increase or appreciation in the value, the other spouse could potentially get what's called a more Marsden interest and that would be a claim that the spouse would make at the time of divorce if they never went on title. So um, let's say I get married, I have a house and it's um, not paid off and I get married and I use my paycheck which is community or I use my husband's or spouse's paycheck to um, pay towards the, um, the mortgage it could potentially create a community interest. It may not necessarily be, you know, 50-50, but it's, uh, it's a, there's a formula, there's a calculation that those two court cases, in marriage of Moore and in marriage of Marsden sets for. So there's a forensic accountant involved. Um, if you only pay a separate asset with separate money, so let's say you uh, have a house that you come to the marriage with, it's not paid off, but you're renting it out and that rental income is covering all the expenses for that house. You just want to keep very clean records because that would show that no community money was used to pay down that uh, uh, expense of that separate house. Lisa, if somebody put um, a house into a trust so that that trust would be something separate from the marriage, would that be another way to protect it? Not necessarily because the trust is a vehicle on how to hold title, but we still look at the underlying character of community versus separate. Um, my question is, let's say I have a home, it's almost paid off. I have enough cash to pay it off before the marriage. Should I pay it off? Yeah, um, I was just going to say, I'm not sure if that's, if um, it's probably not that simple. It depends on, the answer isn't yes, absolutely right? There's, because there's other things to take into consideration. If you're paying that mortgage down during your marriage with your separate property and you're keeping records of that, like Lisa was mentioning, you, the answer isn't that you have to pay it down before you get married. So I think what we should probably do is maybe that's something you and Lisa could talk further about as well, but that unfortunately it's, it's not a yes or a no. It, 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 it just depends on if you don't pay it down prior to marriage, how you how you pay it, um, how you pay it down um, going forward. So, or what assets you use to pay it down, I should say. Um, all right, with that, I think it is one o'clock on the button. We are so very punctual. And I just wanted to take the opportunity again to say um, thank you to WISE for um, reaching out and bringing us in to share with all of you today. Thank you to all of you for taking the time to, um, as, as Patrice said, I wrote these words down, listen and understand and appreciate the information we were sharing today. And please know you're not alone. I know this is a difficult time and can be. Um, and so here's just three more resources you have. We're happy to answer questions. If you have them, um, please don't hesitate to reach out and um, thank you again. Thank you. Thank All right. You. It was Thank wonderful. you, everyone.